1: Good day Savannah. I'm Adam Van Brimmer and this is the Commute Podcast from SavannahNow.com. On this episode, the Georgia faithful are still numb from winning their first college football title since 1980. One of Savannah's most devoted Bulldog fans, Dr. Mark Murphy, joins the Commute today to discuss and he'll also hit on the COVID-19 pandemic and his thoughts on health care legislation needed from the Georgia General Assembly. Today is Tuesday, January the 18th, and this is The Commute Podcast, presented by National Office Systems. Mark Murphy takes a break from his physician's rounds to talk with us here in just a moment. In the meantime, let me use a few seconds to tell you about The Commute's presenting sponsor and favorite local business, National Office Systems. Owner Scott Center and his team over at National Office Systems are Savannah's experts in office design and outfitting. They work with top quality suppliers, such as Dirt Modular Interior, and Herman Miller Office Furniture to create comfortable and productive workspaces. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's the interview with Dr. Mark Murphy. Pleased to be joined on the commute today by Dr. Mark Murphy, who the last time was on called george's shot and i know mark we we were talking about this briefly before we came on is it a babe ruth moment is it a johnny carson swami moment is it i think you said uh, some other procrastinator or procrastinators <laughs> be prognosticators, be
0: prognosticators. <laughs> <laughs> prognosticator no i the one the name i mentioned was gene dixon which does old people was the lady that predicted that john f kennedy would be shot but you know she also made like 30 wrong predictions and everybody remember the one she made right, not yeah. not recalling that she predicted correct, all kinds of, like, Martian invasion and all kinds of other stuff. Um, but, no, I, so, so I make a prediction that people always make fun of me about this. I predict Georgia going to do great every year, okay? Mm-hmm. And part of that is because, as you as I said in my article the other day, when I was at Georgia, we only lost four games. The right. whole four four years I was there. So I just expect us to win the national championship at least every other year. And um, but this year, I really I felt the strongest that I had about it in a while. He's had a lot of returning talent. And I I never would have predicted Stetson Bennett would lead us to that championship. That that was an unexpected plus, but a great story, you know, and uh, he's a nice kid. And, and um, it really it really came through in the clutch. And so, um, it, you know, it was a call of shot. But I, I have to say it was a it was a call of shot. that was called on the basis of uh, being called every year and just getting lucky one year.
1: Yeah, if you say it out loud, it makes it more real, right? That's yeah, what you got to right. do. And for the record, you did call it undefeated season, so you weren't perfectly on the money.
0: Undefeated regular season. Uh, I didn't think it was going to happen for sure in the SEC. It's funny, David Pollock did better than I did because Pollock said that we'd go undefeated the regular season, we'd lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game and beat them in the national championship game. Uh, so there pa- I, Pollock called that in August. So oh. he's better. Of course, that goes without
1: saying. He's David Paul. There you go. So Indianapolis, you made the trip. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people that made the trip. It's kind of amazing to me how many people did. Can you kind of set the scene for us? And was it just kind of a great, like somebody lifted something off your shoulders when it finally came true? What Set the scene for us.
0: Okay. Well, I'm. You know, I'm, i First of all, I didn't go. I went to Miami. No, I didn't go. If you, if, if you, remember, I had have a root canal. Right. Um, right before I was supposed to leave, it, you know, so I, had, I was actually at the dentist chair literally at 6.30 p.m. on the Thursday that I was leaving to go to Miami for the Orange Bowl. Ended up, you know, just barely making that flight. But I started having some nerve root pain. This is maybe too much detail. But the following week, which is the week before the national championship game. And so, you know, between that and the, all these flight delays and everything else, and that, that and Adonis I wasn't sure if he'd get me in, in in a reasonable time frame. I thought, you know what? I can't go to Annapolis with a bad tooth, so I sold my tickets and I sold the house that I'd rented for a year. Oh no! I rented a house for them, walking distance to the stadium, a year ago, um, and I sold my tickets and everything, and it all worked out. The guy that got them was really appreciative, and he, he got the house too, and he thought that was great. And, um, and so I watched it on TV, but it was it was fine because I also figured something out. So in 1980, I didn't go to the national championship game, and we won. In 1982, I went. Oh. With, okay. In 2017, I went and we lost. So I'm, I'm literally like, every time I go, we lose. Every time I don't go, we win. Now, I'm four for four on that. And so the way I look at it, if the odds if it's one toss every time, then it's 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.5. There's only a six percent chance that's happening by sheer chance. So I really think it's me. I think if I go, we lose. So I'm not going.
1: So is that a that's a that's a never go if it, you know no, no. if if the everybody says the dynasty is is coming they're going to be there every year now are you not going to go
0: I'm not that superstitious um, really <laughs> but, I do, but I look and I tell you this much I'm a prediction right now so I looked at our schedule for next year I don't see a loss on the schedule in the regular season either uh, oh, okay. I, really don't. I think they're going to be 12 and 0 in the regular season and I think they'll play Alabama for the SC championship game again next year. Um,
1: So we'll see. How does the dynasty talk sit with you? I mean, that's, you know, it's a hard mantle to wear. Yeah.
0: Oh, I mean, Vama's done something that nobody's ever done. Right. Really? You can't say that. I mean, I, you know, I'd love to see it happen, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on record of saying that I think that's going to occur. I mean, Kirby recruits well enough to do that. And I think Mm. that, you know, realistically, it'd be nice if it happened, but I'm not going to go in expecting that. I was going to be disappointed because, I mean, To to expect the unprecedented is to set yourself up for disaster. uh, That's right. I I don't expect it.
1: That's right. My my last Georgia question for you references Stetson Bennett, who you brought up earlier. He has another year of eligibility. He's probably not going to play in the NFL or play CFL, play anywhere after college. Does he say, I'm going to play one more year because it's my last year of football, or does he ride out and say, I'm going out on top?
0: He says that he's playing somewhere next year.
1: Okay.
0: whether he stays at George or not is really going to be up to two things, I think, where the coaches want him, um, mm-hmm. which I think it'd be hard to turn the guy down that just won you a national title. Uh, and then name, image, and likeness to some extent. I mean, yeah, you know, he, he's got he's got a, a real ability to cash in right now um, on, with the name, image, and likeness stuff that I think is going to be rare in college quarterbacking circles for somebody who's not going to the pros. He's, he's got that unique position. so. Personally, I think it sticks around another year. That's what I yeah. think. But I'm I have no insider information there. I'm just guessing.
1: Yeah, well that'll really that really be something because I think everybody expects Daniels to come back come back next year stronger than ever. And but how do you how do you bench the guy that has taken you to the to the promised land? So
0: Well, and you've got you know, you got brought on the bench He's a five star and you know red this year and you've got Gunnar Stott coming in who broke all of Trevor Lawrence's High school records and he's coming in as a true freshman next year so the quarterback room is loaded and as i mentioned carson beck is a four star from florida who was technically the third string this year so then everybody could come back at qb which is not going to happen obviously but
1: potentially. Right. right wow yeah. well, that'll be that'll be fun to watch give you something to talk about between now and september other than right. hooray we want right yeah so let's shift gears and, and and have you put on the the physician's hat or the physician's stethoscope, which you have around your neck right now. So that works out just fine. And, I'm,
0: a, I'm actually at work today. So. Uh,
1: okay, yep. Yeah. And uh, so let's talk about COVID nineteen pandemic. And uh, we've talked several times about that uh, over the last two years. And of course, we've seen the Omicron variant. The it's a very steep, very steep climb in terms of spread. It doesn't right. seem to be as uh deadly or as sickening as what we've seen in the past what are you seeing and and do you agree with the whole idea that this thing's gonna go up like a rocket and come right back down like a rocket
0: yes um data suggesting south africa um and the european data as well it looks as though this is a virus that this variant um is very very trans- easily transmissible so it's easy to communicate which means you get a rapid spread um peaks quickly and then comes right back down again uh, because a lot of people get exposed now some of that it also there's some other variables that uh, a lot of the demographics in south africa are a little different they only are about 25 percent fully vaccinated but a lot of people that had covid okay and so you know the, you'll get the natural immunity versus vaccination immunity question which is a question that i'm not going to get into because it's it's got some political implications from some people. But, but the bottom line is a little bit slightly different population. The United States right now is about 63% fully vaccinated and about 73% partially vaccinated. Um, so a little bit better than we have been. Um, and certainly that's certainly better than in that regard than in South Africa. That being said, we're also a more a larger country, more heterogeneous, um, you know, lots of different variables at work here, different climates in different parts of the country. I do think that the general trend is going to be straight up and straight back down again, which means I think we'll be transitioning into a more endemic phase of this pandemic, probably by spring. Um, Is it worse uh, in terms of uh, communicability? Yes, unequivocally. Is it more severe? Probably not. Um, It looks like it does not get into the alveoli, the the lung air sacs as much. Um, It's more bronchial and we'll get into the bronchial tubes. But here's the thing. It can still be deadly. This is what people don't realize. It's not like if you're a person at high risk as underlying lung disease or if you're diabetic, hypertensive, all these risk factors you did about by previously, you just go out and try to get infected um, or say, well, to hell with it! I'm going to do whatever I want. I mean, the bottom line is, especially if you're, if you have this high risk factors, if you're older, if you're unvaccinated, uh, it can still be lethal. And we're, we've seen people die from Omicron in Savannah. Um, we've got fibers um, I mean, almost 100% of what we're seeing in Savannah right now is Omicron. And we've got you know, ten people in ventilators of Omicron right now, um, in the city. Um, granted, that's not the you know, the forty or fifty we had with Delta, but right. it's still not zero. And if if one of those people is you, that's a bad outcome.
1: That's right. That's right. So I think we the question that has been kicked around for a while now, and I think we almost have to just we have to say this reality now, is this is gonna be with us probably for a very, very long time. How do we how do we go about living with it, how do we treat it? How does it become like uh, the, the seasonal influenza?
0: Well, I mean that's that's what we're going to be dealing with. When I mentioned a minute ago that I said it's going to transition into endemicity—that's medical speak for it's going to transition from a pandemic phase, which we're I think seeing the last gasp of right now. No, that's a terrible pun. Um, <laughs> make it, but we're seeing the very last bit of this pandemic phase, where it's everywhere, to an endemic phase, meaning that. It's going to be one of these viruses that we see as a seasonal respiratory virus, probably ad infinitum, uh, probably as long as any of us are alive. And there'll be a different vaccine for whatever variant comes out that year. But it's not going to be this this, you know, this huge, you know, resource stressing pandemic that we've seen uh, in the past two years going forward. I don't think. Um, And the reason I think that is you can't get much more transmissible than Omicron. I mean, Omicron took over because it's so easily transmitted It's like chickenpox or measles. It's one of those highly communicable viruses for which many of us don't have much immunity, okay? Um, although we're developing more and more immunity. But I think once that goes through, it's almost like what we call a live attenuated vaccine. And this is that it's gonna, it's gonna infect a lot of people and between that and actual vaccination, you're going to see a lot of people who have immunity to the, to the last few strains that we've seen. And it's unlikely we're gonna have a strain that comes along that is even more communicable Omicron, it's just, it's just. There are not many viruses out there that are, that are that contagious. So I think that's why that we're going to be seeing this transition into an endemic phase, where basically we just see periodic local
1: flare-ups over the you know, next however many decades we're alive. Yeah, and in the meantime, we're developing the equivalent of Tamiflu, right? We've got a couple of anti-COVID pills now, and those will continue to get better and better and better. Exactly. We got and then they actually the, the new pills are
0: um, the Pfizer one in particular is really effective about 70 that's actually much better than tampa which is you know will attenuate the severity and shorten the duration of the influenza but it doesn't do as good a job of of really keeping disease at bay as the new pfizer pill does so they're um now they're, they're, they're short supply right now i mean they're not out there really they're hard to find but you know they'll ramp their manufacturing up and we'll have we'll have those things going
1: forward in the future for sure
0: probably right. the counter at some point
1: yeah yeah how about that so let's let's spend the balance of the time talking a little bit about the Georgia General Assembly. They started up a week ago and uh, health care legislation is there hasn't been a lot of talk about healthcare legislation this right. the end of this term. I mean, you know, they, they passed the healthcare waiver, the Medicaid waivers a couple of sessions ago. Those have got hung up. Now it's an election year, so they don't want to really discuss Medicaid expansion. They really don't want to the you know, the, the Republicans don't want to discuss Medicaid expansion. The Democrats don't want to say, OK, well, we'll budge on the waivers if you do this. It's just completely divided. We're probably not going to see a whole lot of movement on that in this session. But as you look at it, and, and let's start there um, with the, the the Medicaid expansion versus the waivers. I know the, the waivers to me always seem like a, a band-aid when you needed some stitches, to use yeah. a medical term. It just didn't cover enough of the uninsured people. Uh, in your column that you wrote that ran in the Sunday extra of print over the weekend, you talked about hey, Medicaid expansion is is we probably need to really start taking that seriously. The federal government's putting a lot of money into it. Well, we as Georgia need to, to help the people that, that really are uninsured and need to help. Can you kind of talk us through that? And as a physician, what are some of your concerns with the whole idea of Medicaid expansion? Because a lot of people talk about quality of care.
0: So here's the thing. The bottom line is our our, our highest at-risk population. And then Georgia doesn't do a great job with healthcare. I mean, I'm a physician in this state. I love it. I'm a native of Georgia. But, you know, we're, you saw the surveys I put in there. There We're 49th or 50th in the country in terms of overall quality of care. That's terrible. Okay, that's just inexcusable. And a big chunk of that is the fact that we've got still a 13.4% uninsured population in this state. You know, even after the Affordable Care Act was supposed to expand that. And a chunk of that, about five percent of that shortfall, is the is the refusal to, to to expand Medicaid. And the ostensible reason for doing that originally was because they didn't because they originally the federal government was going to fund it for a couple of years and the states were going to take over. And drop it,
1: yeah.
0: You know, they didn't want to they didn't want to saddle the state with that. Well, you know, I mean, we've got a what three point two billion dollars budget sub budget surplus this year. I mean, clearly the state's not hurting for money right now, despite the pandemic. Mm-hmm. This would be an ideal time. To try to expand that, because here's the thing, in healthcare, the payoff for investing in the health of your constituents, as a as a as a state representative, state senator, or congressman, or whatever, is that you don't pay the downstream cost. of You you, you engage in things like preventative medicine, like hypertension control, and and you know diabetic control, and you avoid strokes and renal failure and heart attacks and things that tax the system a lot more on down the road so your 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 return on investment is huge but you can't do that if they don't have insurance because they won't seek medical care so you end up in the ic or the er you can't do that you can't engage in primary prevention if you don't have enough primary care doctors and we don't so to me it's very short-sighted and unfortunately very politically motivated not looking at the big picture refusing to, to recognize the 800 pound gorilla in the room which is what do we do to make us all better collectively and to decrease our tax liability going forward in the long run is, you know, you've got to put the politics on the back burner and say, what's good for Georgia? What is good for our state? What's good for our state is having more people covered and having more primary care doctors. I mean, that's where our big shortfalls occur. That's why primary care in the state of Georgia, it's fine if you got insurance and it's fine if you got a PCP, but you've got, you know, 13 percent of the population that is not going to seek medicare until it becomes an emergency right. and that's that's awful i mean that's just not there's there's just i can't tell you how many people I see every day i you know saw a patient yesterday my age in the icu uncontrolled diabetic hypertensive after a four vessel bypass who's in septic shock because they've got an aspiration pneumonia that happened after their surgery she shouldn't even be in surgery she shouldn't be having a heart bypass she's all this is happening because she didn't take care of herself hmm you know, for years and now we're reaping the aftermath of that. And that's the point I was making in the article the other day is we need to be focusing on preventing end stage pathology that puts people in the ICU because that's where the real expense is. It's it's not it's not in diabetic control, that's relatively inexpensive. It's not in vaccination. It's in it's in it's in strokes and heart attacks and cancer and those things that cost a, a heck of a lot of money that we deal with maybe ten years down the road. But mm-hmm. because of politics People, are, the, the Republicans and the Democrats both are not willing to work with each other because they don't want to. They don't want to weaken their party's position. And you know, I'm not going to use the word that I'd like to use for that, but um, <laughs> it has to do with excrement. But anyway, um, <laughs> the bottom line is it. It's just, it makes my job that much harder, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it makes all of our jobs in healthcare that much harder to be dealing with the downstream effects of this stuff after it should have been addressed a decade earlier in, at the preventative stage. And that's what the, the whole article is focused on. Let's let's do something positive for Georgia that helps them shore up our primary care base and give more constituents insurance so they can avoid those complications on down the road. It cost
1: everybody money. Right. And I, I think the, the argument uh, on the other side of that is, is that um, will they seek that for, just because they have the insurance, will they seek the preventative care? Is there something in your mind that can be done that says, if you're on, if you're taking Medicaid, you've got to get, a physical every year. I mean, there's some things in there that it could be done to, to help that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that kind of thing, incentivizing people to control their blood, the, their you know, blood pressure or their tobacco use, you know, smoking cessation things there, with lower premiums, for example, or lower copays. I mean, there are things you can do that will hit people in the, in the pocketbook that will m- motivate them to do these things. Mm. But they're not going to do it if it costs them money out of pocket when they got no money to begin with. Right. And I'm going to go to doctor for to control their blood pressure when they don't even feel their blood pressure is high or they don't they don't know their blood sugar is elevated because they're not checking it. Right. Until until they show them the bit of an A1C of eleven and a stroke and they'll go, well, you know, I have not really checked my blood sugar in a couple of years. And that happens. Yeah. But they're not spending money on a glucometer or on blood pressure medicine if they don't have any insurance. They're gonna they're gonna know they'll spend money on cigarettes, that's another story. Um right. but but they, but the bottom line is it just that people they're naturally in tune towards what impacts them that day politicians and the rest of us you know mm-hmm. and so they're going to do what looks good right now or what feels good right now without thinking about the long-term consequences but there absolutely are ways you can motivate people to do the right thing for themselves it's just like you they try to motivate doctors to do the right things for patients we're incentivized to control blood pressure to get vaccinations to do screenings that's all positive but the doctors not seeing you those things aren't going to be done anyway
1: yeah i think we've hit on something instead of a work requirement for medicaid there needs to be a physical get a physical every so often and get all your stuff checked every so often in order to keep it but
0: yeah i mean i, I think that would be a great thing and right. you know the work requirement thing is i mean that's i think for having a work requirement for medicaid the, the, the underlying upshot of that is not admirable. i think it's more applicable to for example if you're getting paid disability or something like that it's more the more direct correlation but i think what you're what you're hitting on here is that if you're doing with health care benefits look at health care outcomes look mm-hmm. at health care motivation look at things that motivate people to, to take better care of themselves you know mm-hmm. i think that's how you tie it more directly to this legislation to me right i'm not, not a, i'm not a politician but that's the way i would do it
1: another thing you talked a lot about was and you mentioned this is a shortage of of primary care of especially rural areas of specialists george's got a couple of medical schools, Emory Medical College of Georgia. It's, it's not like we don't have places to train these, these doctors and these physicians. And I know this is something that, that the state has wrestled with going back to the deal administration. What's it going to take to really move the needle to get, to get more people in medical school and then the people that are coming out of medical school in Georgia to get them to stay here.
0: If that's the thing. The medical school population is part of it, but most resident, most physicians practice where they do their residency and fellowship. Okay. So we don't have enough residency and fellowship slots to keep them in state. I mean, I'm from Georgia. Um, I went to med school here. I went to undergraduate school here. Obviously, I got my red and black outfit on. But the um, but the bottom line is, um, I trained in North Carolina. Okay. I did. I, I did my residency and fellowship in Chapel Hill, um, and I I, I had plenty of offers in North Carolina and Virginia. I came back home because my dad said hey we'd like to have you come back and there's a job opportunity for you here that you know, that's how I knew about it my dad's a physician so he, you know he let me know about something but had I not had that connection I might have taken one of the many offers I got in North Carolina and Virginia to practice medicine up there we need more residency slots here <laughs> we need we need and then the problem is the number of AC the, the the American College of Graduate Medical Education the ACGME has through Medicare has funded most of the residency slots in this country since nineteen ninety seven. They haven't increased in twenty four years. Oh wow. This past year they increased them by two hundred a year or five years. Spread over the whole country. That's not a lot, okay? So, but we could fund some of those residency slots from the state legislature. The individual hospitals could be given money to fund them, or they could decide to fund them on their own. Um, but you know, we've got teaching programs in Savannah, both yes. in Canada. And Joe, and at Memorial, we've got teaching programs at um, you know in in, in in Athens and Augusta and Macon and Columbus. But we need to expand those, and we need to have more teaching programs in the state of Georgia because people, residents, will work with physicians here, and they'll get to know them. And I mean, half of the practicing physicians in Savannah trained at Memorial. Right. I mean, they're they came here. They like Savannah. Hey, I would like to stick around. You know, we've got. Two former Memorial residents who are in my GI practice as as partners, okay. That's where you get people to stick around. And the the flaw in the reasoning here is, I mean, granted, it's great to have medical schools here, but a lot of the medical school students don't necessarily stay here. They're gonna they're gonna they may go to Texas, right. the California, they're they may decide they like it out there and stay there. You want them here when they're looking for
1: jobs, yeah. Any, the interest of of fairness? I, I mentioned medical college Georgia and Emory. I think I left out Morehouse Mercer. Right? Are, are those the other? Are, is that the four medical schools in the state?
0: Well, there's the Morehouse and Mercer, uh, MCG and Emory. The four big ones. Right. Uh, there's an there's an osteopathic medical school in Atlanta as well that also puts people in residency programs. Yeah. Um, and and it's interesting. There are there are just as many doctors being trained in residency now as there were some years ago there are 110 million more Americans now oh, okay and so if, if there there are probably two qualified medical school applicants for every one that actually uh, that actually gets into med school so that's why a lot of these residents programs will take foreign medical grads you know because if they pass the if they pass the exam that gets them into residency program they can practice here and a lot of them do um, but that's that's to me the bottleneck is not as much with the med schools is in the residency. We need more residency slots and they cost money. They're not cheap. I mean, they don't, you don't get paid much. I mean, I I got paid $18,000 my intern year. That was a long time ago, but still they don't get paid a lot, but they, it does cost, you know, 50,000 a year for salary and benefits and probably a hundred grand a year per resident to fund those slots Mm -hmm. altogether.
1: Yeah. Well, that sounds like something the legislature could, could maybe try to tap into and and do some things with. So well, Mark, we've hit a lot of topics. I appreciate your time, as always. And uh, hopefully there's not anybody waiting on you uh, to run back to. But uh, congratulations again on Georgia's win. It's going to be a long offseason, and I think uh, the Buckeyes going to give you a run next year. We're going to cross our fingers. They play some defense next year. you got a whole new defensive staff, I saw. I'm not sure i sure they got a new defensive staff. We'll see if that translates to that. Those guys can't strap on the helmet and play, but we'll – We'll cross our fingers anyway, but thanks again, Mark. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Other news of note in Savannah today. The Martin Luther King Jr. Monument was unveiled Saturday at Plant Riverside with speeches from local dignitaries and music from a pair of superbly talented choirs. The memorial is Savannah's first recognizing a black individual and is located at the terminus of Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard overlooking the Savannah River. Elsewhere, Georgia House Rep Derek Mallow is eyeing higher office. The first-term representative has announced a run for the Georgia Senate and the seat long held by Senator Lester Jackson, who is vying for Georgia Labor Commissioner and won't seek another Senate term. Mallow is the first to announce for the soon-to-be-open seat. election qualifying starts March the 7th, and the primary is May the 25th. And in sports, the Florida Gators' club ice hockey team captured the 23rd Thrasher Cup over the weekend, in the M-Market Savannah Hockey Classic. Florida was the lone team in the 14 team field to win both its games in the tournament. It marks only the sixth time the Rumble in the rink was not won by either Georgia or Georgia Tech. By the way, Georgia beat the in-state rivals 4-3 to in Saturday's finale. Read those stories and more at SavannahNow.com, the online home of the Savannah Morning News. Get full access to SavannahNow.com and our mobile app for just $49 for the next year. Go to SavannahNow.com slash subscribe now and sign up. Again, that's savannahnow.com/slash subscribe now. That's all for the Tuesday Commute podcast. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. For more interviews with local newsmakers, check out the Commute archives by searching "The Commute" with that Savannah Opinion. The Commute returns Thursday and will feature the annual year in review, year in preview discussion with Savannah Mayor Van Johnson. Thank you for listening.